Welcome. We are so glad you've joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. Today, that I didn't get the memo to wear my dad's shirt today, but that's okay. We'll get there. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year. Did everybody have a good time at New Year's? I had a great time. It was actually a bittersweet time for me because um, I realized that 2020 is my 30th year of living. It's sad. I'm getting old. (laughs) I'm getting old. I'm getting really old. Um, But it's like bittersweet because my dad told me multiple times growing up he didn't think I would make it to 18. So I've made it to 18 and now... Now I've reached it to 30, so it's like bittersweet. I'm getting old, but at least I made it past what my father thought I would make it. But New Year's, we like to make resolutions, things that we're going to do to make our lives better. So I just did a quick Google search of some of the New Year's resolutions, and I thought I would share them with you. My New Year's resolution that I will keep, this is not me, this is people that I have found. I will not take sleeping pills and laxatives on the same night. That's a good New Year's resolution. It's a great New Year's resolution. Um, To become, my New Year's resolution is to become as fat as I was the first time that I thought I was fat. My New Year's resolution is to be more assertive, if that is okay with you guys. My New Year's resolution, this is mine, no, not really. Uh, My New Year's resolution is to exercise. My right to eat more tacos. (laughs) My New Year's resolution is to stop using my cat as an excuse for a boyfriend. My New Year's resolution is to make a handful of people believe that I am normal before blindsiding them with my actual personality. My New Year's resolution is to be a nicer person. Stop laughing, I can do this. My New Year's resolution is to spend less time interacting with people and more time with my phone. Doing pretty well so far. So we look at some of these resolutions and think that they might be somewhat ridiculous. But we often put too much focus on how we are making ourselves better in the world's eyes rather than what God would have us do. And, and it's crazy when you're writing something to, to come and speak because you never know whether you're on the right track. And then I come to church today and pretty much the whole service up until now, everybody on this stage has pretty much preached my sermon. So have a good week. Good night. No, I'm just kidding. But it's, it's just, uh, it's really God just saying, yeah, this is, what, this is what I want you to say today. So as we start the year 2020, I want to put to you that maybe we should let God have some say in our resolutions. To put the emphasis on him and less on us as we start this new year and new decade. I want to read two passage, passages of scripture today. And I believe that it's, it's the Bible warning us of some traps that we can fall in. But I don't want to just leave you with, hey, there's a trap. I want to leave you with some practical ways that we can avoid those. But most of all, I just want, if you get nothing out of today, I want you to get passionate. I believe that the enemy is 
doing something in this nation right now that's trying to discourage, discourage us. And I believe that it's time for the church to stand up and be passionate about God. And to, and to not let anything else hold us back, to not let our lives, to not let chasing other things, but just to put our focus back on God and let's start something. 2020, let's start something where we see Australia turn back to God. Come on. So first verse today, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I'm that kind of person that has to put a story with an idea to, to really understand it. And I've always envisioned this verse as a person trying a person trying to serve two masters is like someone trying to sit on a fence, one foot on either side. At some point, that's going to get really uncomfortable and you have to choose which side you're going to be on. Right? Have you ever been in a situation where it's been uncomfortable, maybe socially or physically? I have, and I will tell you about it. Sorry to all the youth that have already heard this story. My wife, I had a car when we got married. It was a really nice car. It was a V8. It was super nice. Um, and we got married and we moved into the, probably the smallest unit you could possibly move into. And so my car wouldn't fit in the garage. So we always had to leave it out on the road. So Rachel finally decided that it cost too much money to drive and it was too big. So we're going to get a new car. So I sold my car. <sighs> I sold it. And we went down and we bought a Hyundai i20. Yeah. And uh, I, used to, I used to drive this car to work. I work at a school. And the kids accurately described it as I, I wore the car to school. Like they would just all sit out there and wait for me to arrive and then Trevor would like pull himself, take the car off. Um, so, but that's bad, but it gets worse. So whenever my wife drives anywhere, she lets the person that she loves the most sit in the front seat. So usually that's me. Unless her sister's in the car and then her sister's in the front seat. So they pick me up from work one day and Rachel's in the front, Zoe's in the front. So Trev gets in the back. Small car, really hard to get in the back. They drop me home, they're going out for coffee. So we get home, they pull up out the front of um, our unit and that day every person that lived in the unit complex was outside at that moment and Trevor has to get himself out of the car so that they can go and have coffee. So open the door, foot out of the car and then I have to put my leg under the car so I can pull my other leg out of the car. But my wife is in a hurry to get coffee, probably hadn't had one yet. So I get out of the car, put my leg under the car, go to get my other leg out of the car and she drove off. <laughs> this is when the situation became really uncomfortable. And I guess it was a God situation because as I went out of the car and she said, see you down, bye, and drove away, I just dropped down to one knee and she ran over the back of my leg and she just kept driving. She didn't stop. Like, there's speed bumps in our unit complex, but that was not a speed bump. And she's just like, see ya, door shuts. And I stand up and I'm like checking myself and I'm walking and there's this guy watering his lawn 
and he's just like frozen. Water. She goes, did, he, did she just run over your leg? I was like, yeah, yeah, I think she did. Anyway, there was a tyre mark up the back of my leg. I don't know how I didn't break my leg, but that was probably one of the most uncomfortable positions I've ever been in. She called me later and she goes, did something happen? I heard you yelling. I'm like, yeah, you, you, ran, over, you ran over my leg. It's all good. It's all good. I'm, not, I'm at the hospital. I've never amputated. No, I'm kidding. All right, I'm going to do something with you guys. I want everybody... When it, have you guys heard of the old um, poem, The Grand Old Duke of York? It goes like this. Oh, the grand old Duke of York, he had 10,000 men. He marched them up to the top of the hill and he marched them down again. When they're up, they're up. When they were down, they were down. But when they were only halfway up, they were neither up nor down. Okay, cool? Okay, so I'm going to say, when you're up, you're up. You've got to stand up. So everybody stand up. When you're up, you're up. Yes, see, exercises, 2020 resolutions. <laughs> when we're down, you're down. Sit down, that's good. But when you're only halfway up, You've got to go halfway up. You're neither up nor down. Okay, so we're going to do that again. I probably should preface this by saying, if you have any artificial hips, knees, maybe don't do this. Um, but anyone else, you have to do it. Okay, so let's try this again. Okay, so when you're up, you're up. When you're down, you're down. But when you're only halfway up, sorry, I just got to have a drink. What are, the next, what are the next words? Oh, you're neither up nor down. Okay, you can sit down. I won't make you do it again. I, I was thinking about making you do it again. Maybe I just put you guys in the most uncomfortable position you've ever been. I don't know. It's true. Thank you. It's true. I think that sometimes in our Christian walk, maybe at one point, we've struggled with the concept of serving two masters. And maybe it's not something we do um, on purpose, but maybe it's just things become a little bit uncomfortable when trying to juggle off. Or maybe we just get so busy that life gets in the way and it takes our focus off what God would have for us. I think this is one of the biggest pitfalls that is that we as a church are facing and and... God actually warns us of this in Revelations when he's talking to the seven churches that he talks to the church of Laodicea. So in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those who I love I rebuke and discipline. To be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. 
Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Isn't that crazy? A lukewarm Christian. To me, that idea is absurd. It's crazy because who starts off their Christian walk like this? Who, who in giving their life to Christ says, Lord, take half of me. For the rest of my life, I will half-heartedly serve you. I don't think any one of us, when we made the decision to, to leave the world behind and serve God, said, I'm going to do it half-heartedly. And yet, a lot of times we find ourselves in this, in this position. Normal people don't say things on their wedding day like, this will probably last a year or two. Or, you know, in 20 years I'll be leaving you for someone younger and better looking, right? That's not what they say. Remember those commercials in which all the children would say what they wanted to be when they grew up? The announcer comes in at the end and says, no one ever says, I want to be a junkie when I grow up. Because when we are young, we dream of being astronauts and firefighters and ballerinas. Yet it happens. Innocent kids turn into junkies. Starry-eyed lovers get ugly, messy divorces and fully devoted followers of Christ lose their first loves and get lukewarm. It's sad, but it's true. Francis Chan, who is a pastor in the US, wrote in his book, Crazy Love, he writes out a description of the modern-day lukewarm Christian, and I think it's, it's, it's good to hear. Francis writes, Lukewarm people attend church regularly. It's what good Christians do. Lukewarm people give money to charity and church as long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. Lukewarm people choose what is popular over what is right when they are in conflict. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They only want to be saved from the penalty of sin. Lukewarm people are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not act. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbours, co-workers or friends. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus and his is indeed a part of their life, but only a part. They give him a second of their time, money and their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. Lukewarm people love others, but do not seek to love others as much as they love themselves. Lukewarm people will serve God and others, but there are limits to how far they will go or how much time, money and energy they are willing to give. Lukewarm people think about life on earth much more often than eternity in heaven. Lukewarm people are thankful for their luxuries and comforts and rarely consider trying to give as much as possible to the poor. Lukewarm people do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. Lukewarm people are continually concerned with playing it safe. They are slaves to the God of control. Lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives are structured, so they do not have to. Lukewarm people probably drink and swear less than average, but besides that, they really aren't very different from your typical unbeliever. Chan would then suggest that as the lukewarm Laodiceans would be spit out of Jesus' mouth, and if they would, and if they would no longer be in Christ, can we really call them Christians at all? The same warning should be heeded by us. It's important to remember none of us are perfect. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But be careful not to judge others. This is a time to take a serious look at ourselves, not others. I know that if I really wanted to grow in my relationship with God, one thing that I would do is I would pray. I think that's 
That's big. We've got to get back to prayer and we've got to get back to reading his word. Because if we want to know what God wants from us, then those are the two things, communication with him and what has he already said to us. And sometimes when, we're, when we're, the busyness of life takes over, that's the last thing we think of. We think of the bills that need to get paid. We think of getting the kids to school on time. We think of what do we need, blah, 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 blah. And we forget about well, what's God said to us. What's the promise of God? Lukewarm means fitting in. Something can be cold or hot, but when it sits at room temperature, it will eventually conform to its surroundings. But fitting in is often what we as Christians strive for. We want a Christianity that is just between me and God. Sometimes we'll let others in, but they have to fit a criteria. They have to be safe. So we'll share our faith with some friends and some family, but they must be Christians as well or agree to disagree. I'm okay, you're okay, let's be friends, let's never talk about religion again. That sort of relationship. Sometimes we will let the church in too but as long as they don't ask for too much money or too much of our time actually in this brand of christianity there is not too much room for god either not the one true god at least we prefer to replace him with the god that serves us they used to call those idols we don't like calling them idols anymore we look back and go, oh, that was really silly. They worshipped idols. But I mean, we worship idols at times as well. I'll tell you what my idol is at times. Sport. If there's sport on, Trev's watching it. That's an It can become an idol for me. It's kind of like driving. We often get sucked into going with the flow of traffic, even if the flow of traffic is breaking the law. We travel down the road and go with the flow. And anything that disrupts the flow, we don't like. If I get cut off, don't like it. If the person in front of me is too slow, I don't like it. If the person behind me is going too fast, I don't like it. If the speed limit changes, I don't like it. If I see a speed limit sign that also says how fast I'm going, I don't like it. If I see a police car... In that situation, I'm more concerned about my comfort and desires than with what is right. So when Jesus says that he wants us to be known by all men, that disrupts my lukewarm, fit-in, traffic-flow style of Christianity. I've got two scriptures for you today. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So here's the two things. Jesus gives his disciples two signs by which the world will know who they are. These are important. Love one another and bear fruit that glorifies God. Usually we read these and do not disagree with the command that comes with these verses. We know that this is how we should be as God's children, loving and fruit-bearing. It's pretty simple, isn't it? So why do we fall short? Why do we fail? Because, yes, that is what we're supposed to do, but it's not, about the, it's not the command, it's the purpose. Jesus says, everyone will know that you are my disciples. That's where the rubber hits the road, because you'll be different. 
We're not going to fit in. We'll stand out. We won't be going with the flow. We'll be disrupting it. It means being hot, the light in the darkness. By the way, Jesus says that the light will be hated by the darkness. John 3.19 says this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. For whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. John 15.18 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you to be out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. Jesus tells his disciples that they will be both hated and persecuted because of Jesus' name. Wait, how is that love? It doesn't make sense. Why would I want to stand out if I'm going to be hated and persecuted because of it? If I knew that my wife was going to be hated and persecuted because she knew me, I would tell her, well, get away from me because I know, or disown me because I know that she doesn't mean that, but I would rather her be safe than be connected to me. Does that make sense? So why is Jesus saying we'll be hated and persecuted and just hours and days earlier says, okay, here are two ways to let everyone know exactly who you are. How does that make sense? Well, let's go right back. Let's go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 4. God is sending Moses because in Exodus 2, God says he heard the prayers of his people. So he sends Moses to deliver the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Part of the process is to go to God's people and to tell them the plan. But Moses gets nervous and asks God for some help. So God gives Moses three signs in Exodus 4 that were supposed to show the Israelites that the message and the messenger are from God. The three signs were, threw the stick down, turned it on a snake, picked up the snake, back to a staff, right? Number one. Two, turned the hand leprous, made it whole again. Third one, Nile water into blood. Okay, God used the signs to verify the message and the messenger of Moses were from him. So let's look at Mark 16. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands and when they drink deadly poisons it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So it says in verse 20, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Signs. 
John 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There's a pattern here. God uses signs to confirm his word. He gave Moses signs. He gave Jesus signs. He gave the apostles signs and he gives us signs. Why? Because they confirm his word. The love we have for one another and the fruit we bear lets the world know that the message we have is from God. So as we finish up today, there's two fundamental truths that, we want, that I don't want to leave you with. And if we can get these and if we can go into this new year and this new decade, then we are going to go places that no one has ever seen. God's going to take us places that no one has ever seen. Christianity is not a social club. It's a mission. It's a war. It's not about you. It's about the cause and it's about Christ. Let me give you an example. If you left the church today, Christianity would roll on. If Jesus left the church today, you get my point. If you think getting together on Sunday and singing some songs, listening to a lesson is having arrived, then we're sadly mistaken. We've been given signs because we have been given a mission and a message. 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 18 in the Amplified says this, But all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, making us acceptable to Him, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, so that by our example we might bring others to Him. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting people's sins against them, but cancelling them. And He has committed to us a message of reconciliation. That is restoration to favour with God. So we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God was making his appeal through us, we as Christ's representatives plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. It's not a social club. It's a war. I'll get the worship team up, please. Stole my second point. God is a winner. When did God ever lose? When has He ever sent His people out ill-equipped? Never. Doesn't mean it'll be easy or without danger. He tells us about the hate and the persecution. He lets us know. But He's on our side. We are on His side and He's the winner. God is a winner and Jesus Christ was and is His greatest weapon. Following Christ is a movement, it's a mission, it's a war. If you want to win, it's got to be obvious what side you're on. No fence sitting, no lukewarmness, no going with the flow, we will stand out. As Christ's men and women, we will love one another deeply and we will bear fruit that glorifies God. And these are the signs to the world that we are His and the message we bring is from Him. Did you know that there is virtually no difference in the numbers when it comes to divorce, abuse, addiction, suicide, depression between Christians and non-Christians? Are God's people losing? Or are there a lot of lukewarm people 
who've been spit out of Jesus' mouth and don't even realise it? What will you do? I'll have everybody stand today. Are you going to stand up and be counted? I know in praying and writing this message, that's the one that's the one thought that God's left with me. Are you going to stand up and be counted? Or are you going to go with the flow? As we stand on the cusp of a new year and a new decade, let's make a choice to take a stand. No matter the cost, let's step out of our comfort zone that the enemy has convinced us to stay in and make a difference. Let's make our New Year's resolution to get off the fence and be all in for the one who sent his only son to die so that we can have eternal life with him. Who gave us everything that we didn't deserve. want us to close our eyes today and we're going to start to sing this worship song and as you do I just want you to really press in press into what's God saying to you today what does God want from you this year what does God want from you this decade does he want you to turn back to him does he want you to get a little bit fired up for him does he want to does he want you to come to him for the first time As we begin to sing, I just want to leave you with this one quote. And I urge you, fan the flame. Get hot. Quit the club. Join the army. Thank you for joining us. The Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.basechristianchurch.com.au or follow us on our social media sites at Basechristianchurch. Christian Church.